Good morning. Those were amazing words we just sang. I was thinking about that. I am loved by the King. Wow. Do you know that today? you know that? Let's pray as we uh, prepare to look into the words of our King. Lord, if you hadn't told us, we wouldn't know. We wouldn't know so much. And uh, worst of all, we wouldn't know you. We wouldn't know that you love us. We wouldn't know that you gave your son to die, to demonstrate your great love, and to demonstrate your great righteousness. Lord, you have told us so many good, important things that we need to know. And I pray now you just help us hear your voice and uh, help us know what you want us to know so we can think the way you want us to think and live the way you want us to live. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What in the world is God up to? What, what is he doing? What does he want to do in this world? What does he want to do in your life? Do you know? I mean, those are important questions. And the really great thing is, is that God has given us the answers in his word. In the New Testament book of Ephesians, we're told that God is at work in the world today creating something, creating something new. He is creating a new humanity, a new community of people whose lives are transformed by a faith relationship with Jesus Christ. And when I say the word transformed, I I really don't mean that lightly. I say transformed because, as the Bible describes it, we are talking about a change from death to life. A change from separation to connection. A change from being God's enemies to becoming beloved members of his family. From deserving God's judgment to experiencing God's blessings. It is huge this transformation that comes about when we put our trust in Christ. And it's meant to be life-changing. You know, when we, when we experience Jesus making us part of this new humanity, God intends to work through us. God intends to work through our lives to keep accomplishing His plan. So those who become part of His new humanity become part of the plan to continue to create this new humanity. Ephesians 2.10 For we are God's workmanship, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Notice it's not just to believe good beliefs. It's to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So that's what we're doing. We're in Ephesians and we are wanting to learn more about living out this plan that this amazing plan that God has. Today we're going to do it in Ephesians chapter 4, 
And we're up to verse 17. So Ephesians 4, 17 through 24, you have a note sheet in your folder. It's got that passage on it, or you can follow on the screen. Or if you've got a Bible, open it up to Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 17, and here the Apostle Paul is writing under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, and he says this. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Let me just stop there and insert a little explanation, okay? Uh, The word Gentile just means anybody who's not Jewish. And the people Paul was writing to were all Gentiles mostly, but he's talking here about Gentiles who have not yet come into relationship with Christ, who don't know Christ, they're separated from God, and they're still living like they are. That's what he's talking about. Uh, that you, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him, or more literally, you heard him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So what's it saying? Well, to put it simply, what it's saying is the life we're supposed to live as believers in Jesus is a life that is different. A life that's different. Different from what? Well, different from the life lived by people who don't know Jesus Christ. Because we have become new people, because we've become part of this new humanity, if we are believers in Jesus, then we have to live in a new way. Or to say it in another way, we have a new identity. And because we have a new identity, that ought to result in a new way of living. Say, what does that mean? What's a new identity? Well, have you ever heard about somebody you know, having to go through that witness protection program or something? I don't even know if it's real, but I see it on TV. Some crime drama, somebody testifies against some mob leader, and now he's in big trouble because everybody's going to be after him. So they they give him a new identity. Now he's the same individual, but now he's got a new name, lives in a new place, new job. He's got a new identity, and he's got to live it out. He's got to live out his new identity. Well, those who become believers in Jesus Christ get a new identity. And it needs to be lived out. Some of you know uh, who Mark Hafner is. Mark is a, a pastor. Pastors a church in White Salmon, Washington. He also has for many years served as the director of the association of churches that we belong to. And over the years, Mark and his wife Janelle 
have adopted several children from very difficult backgrounds, very difficult situations. And I've heard Mark say more than once that one of the things he makes sure that he does with his adopted kids is he makes sure he impresses upon them their new identity. Uh, You know, maybe when they're heading out for a special activity or something, he'll take them aside and he'll say something like this. He'll say, remember, you're a Hafner now. Live like it. In other words, you have a new identity now. Your past no longer defines who you are because you're now a member of this family. And in this family, there are certain things we do and there are certain things we don't do. Remember who you are and live that way. That's really what this passage is telling those of us who've put our trust in Christ. is It's saying, remember who you are. You, in Jesus Christ, have become a new person. You are now part of a new family, the family of God. You've been taught to put off your old self, your old identity, and to put on your new self, your new identity. So live like that. Live like the new person you have become. Don't live like the person you used to be when you didn't know Jesus. Live differently. And you might think, okay, live differently. In what way? I mean, are we talking like different clothes? Different hairstyle? Christians should wear their hair in certain ways? Different food? Different music? Different vocabulary? I mean, how different are we supposed to be? I mean, we could be different in a lot of ways. There are a lot of things that could be different about us, but what differences are we talking about? Well, the first and most basic, most foundational difference we need to grasp is a difference in thinking. A difference in thinking, which makes sense if you think about it. (laughs) It makes sense because how we think definitely affects how we live. It really does. If we're going to live like new people, we've got to learn to think like new people. People who know Jesus need to think differently from people who don't know Jesus. Because without Jesus, thinking gets messed up. And messed up thinking leads to messed up living. Messed up thinking leads to messed up living. So, Right here, actually, we can see some messed up thinking that leads to messed up living that we need to avoid. So I want to give you uh, a couple of ways not to think based on what it says here. If we're going to live differently from this, we've got to think differently from this. So here are a couple of ways not to think, right? First, don't think that life is ever better 
without God. Don't think that life is ever better without God. That's an old way of thinking that's got to go. Now, a lot of people think like this. A lot of people believe this, that, you know, life's better without God. At least most of the time, life's better without God. And, you know, people believe this who are even outwardly religious. They, they may say they believe in God, they may talk about God, but the way that they live proves what they really believe. And what they really believe is that, you know, 99% of the time, life's better without God. The real God, that is. And I want to tell you, there are times when you are going to be tempted to believe this. You are going to be tempted to believe that in certain situations, if we could just kind of leave God out of this, we'd do better. I'd do better. Don't let yourself give in to that kind of thinking. Thinking that life without God is better is messed up thinking that will lead to even more messed up thinking that will lead to messed up living. Verse 18 is talking about people who live without God. And it says, they are darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Now, it's really important to see here. This ignorance... All right, this, this not knowing is not an innocent ignorance. You know, sometimes ignorance is innocent. They just didn't know. You know, you take a class in something you didn't know anything about, you were ignorant before, now you've learned something. That's an innocent ignorance. There's also ignorance that's not innocent. And you don't know because you don't want to know. That's what this is talking about, a hardening of the heart saying, I don't want to know that because I don't want there to be a God that I have to answer to. It's a heart issue. It's not a lack of information. And the problem here is that the more you harden your heart against God, the more ignorant you end up becoming. And this is why people who may be very highly educated. They may be very intellectual. People can be so smart and then can end up believing and saying and doing some really stupid things. I was at an event where a speaker got up. This wasn't too long ago. And this was a very educated, articulate person. And she said, in the strongest possible terms, we don't need God. We do not need God. And one of her biggest reasons for saying that is that she believes that without God, the world is just getting better and better every day. And then another point, she she brought up the issue of sex. And it was just kind of like, really? And... uh, And she said, (laughs) with great conviction, that people ought to have sex with whoever they want, whenever they want, because sex is no more significant, no more meaningful than a ride on a roller coaster. 
I really didn't know whether to laugh or to cry when she said that because she really believed it. Messed up. I just, it just seemed like, wow, you're really smart, but that is really stupid. But let's face it, the idea that there's no God, that has a certain appeal. At least it appeals to the old self that doesn't want there to be God. And the thinking goes something like this. Hey, if there's no God, then there are no rules. And if there are no rules, life's going to be a whole lot more fun. I remember toying with this idea myself. Even after I'd become a Christian. You know, let me just say this. Just because you're a Christian, just because you put your trust in Christ, that does not mean you're thinking Christianly. Okay? And I remember as a teenager suffering from raging hormones, I remember thinking, what a bummer it was that God had some of these rules, like the rule about no sex outside of marriage. That just seemed arbitrary to me. It seemed like that was just keeping me and a whole lot of people from having all the fun we wanted to have. Well, here's what I've learned now that I know better. God's rules aren't arbitrary. They're loving. They're loving. They aren't meant to spoil our fun. They're meant to give us the best possible life with the least amount of wreckage. And I have to tell you, it grieves me that there are probably people listening to me right now who don't believe what I just said. You really do think that following God's instructions will not be as good for you as doing what you want that are, that's contrary to his instructions. God's rules don't feel loving to you at all. They feel oppressive. And there are times when it can seem like that. But it's never true. Galatians 5.14, the entire law, okay, all God's rules can be summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the point of God's rules, love. Love your neighbor as yourself. God's rules don't make life worse, they make it far better, in spite of what your desires might be telling you at a given moment. Can you imagine what this world would be like if there really were no rules? Because that's, that's what no God means. No God means no rules. Nothing is sacred. Nothing is really wrong. It's just a matter of personal preference. We take a vote, whatever the majority decides, that's right. And so today, you know, certain things might be wrong, but we could take a vote tomorrow and change it. Because nothing's really wrong if there's no God. If there are no rules, can you imagine? Can you imagine what would happen? Human selfishness being what it is. Well, verse 19 gives us a hint because this is what it was like back in the day of Paul and the Ephesians. This is a picture of Greek and Roman culture that had rejected God. 
having lost all sensitivity, they have given them over, given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. If it feels good, do it, whatever it is. Doesn't matter, as long as you feel like doing it. See, lust means selfish desire without any regard for consequences. That's what lust is. Selfish desire with no concern for consequences. Doesn't matter what the cost is, doesn't matter who gets hurt, doesn't matter. I want it, that's all that counts. Well, now, if that's such a great idea, if just indulging our every whim, everything we want, whenever we want, if that is such a great idea, then why is there a continual lust for more? Because that's what happens. Lust is never satisfied. It never is. Do you see the last two words in verse 22? Deceitful desires. See that? Deceitful desires. There are, there's nothing wrong with desires when they're fulfilled in ways that God intends. In fact, there's everything right with desires when they're fulfilled the way God intends. But this is talking about deceitful desires. These are desires disconnected from God. Desires without God's directions. And desires disconnected from God are deceitful. Desires disconnected from God are deceitful. In other words, they lie. They lie. They promise so much, but they deliver so little. No lasting satisfaction. Just ask an addict. Just ask an addict. Ask someone who's addicted to pornography. Ask them, hey, how's that working for you? How's that enhancing your life? How's that enhancing your relationship with your spouse? Because a lot of spouses are addicted to pornography today. How's that making your relationship better? How much deep down contentment and joy does your addiction give you? Anytime we try to fulfill a desire apart from God, apart from his ways, eventually it leads to emptiness and enslavement, not freedom. That's not fulfillment. So whenever we're tempted to think, well, non-Christians, you know, they're having more fun. They're more fulfilled. They're living a better life. Just stop and think it through. Think it through. Don't, don't just think short term. Look at the whole story. See the whole story from beginning to end. See the heartbreak. See the brokenness. See the emptiness. See the slavery. No matter what anybody says, life without God is never freedom. It never is. That is messed up thinking that will lead to messed up living. So don't think life's ever better without God. Here's the other one. Another way not to think. Don't think you can figure everything out on your own. Don't think you can figure everything out on your own. 
do you realize everybody thinks they're right? Everybody thinks they're right. Everyone believes that the way they think about things is the right way to think about things. If they didn't, they'd change the way they think. Does that make sense? Everybody thinks they're right. But clearly, not everybody's right because people believe things that contradict what other people believe. And I'm not talking here about, you know, matters of taste. You know, what's the best flavor of ice cream? Strawberry, pistachio, Rocky Road. Yeah, don't start shouting them out. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about here's a guy who says there is a God. And here's a guy who says there is not a God. Clearly, they can't both be right. But they both think they are. We have this amazing capacity to believe that we are very good at figuring things out and deciding what's true and what isn't. Why do we think that? We all make judgments that are based on our own experiences, based on our own education. How do we know that we're right? The fact is, we make lots of assumptions all the time, and some of them might not be accurate. Yeah, you might, somebody give you a sandwich, and you open up, and you see some white creamy stuff on there, and you think it's mayonnaise. It turns out it's Miracle Whip. Gross. That's happened to me several times. I have stories I can tell. <laughs> Back when computers were first being developed, somebody coined an acronym, GIGO. It stands for garbage in, garbage out. And, and the idea is, uh, what, the answer that you get from a computer is only as good as the information that was put into the computer. So if the programming is faulty, the results will be faulty. Did you hear about that Mars probe a couple of years ago that crash-landed on the surface of Mars? And apparently it was because of a programming mix-up between feet and meters. Because there's a big difference between 10,000 meters and 10,000 feet. Oops. Garbage in, garbage out. That, that's the same for us. How do we know our programming is accurate? How do we know we're making good decisions based on what's real and not simply on feelings? Because if this passage is telling us anything, you read it, you go back and it's talking about you know, sensuality and deceitful desires and all this. It's telling us feelings are not a reliable guide to life and truth and freedom. And yet, this is our culture. Our culture is all about feelings, you know, deciding things, making decisions based on what feels right, what feels good, what feels loving. And those of us who are Christians, we fall into that same trap. I hear it all the time. Well, I know God wouldn't want me to do that. That just doesn't feel right. Or I know God wants me to do this because it feels right. Earlier I said that just because you're a Christian 
doesn't mean you're thinking Christianly about things. All right, so how do we think Christianly? We have to remember who the ultimate source of truth is. Verse 21, Surely you have heard him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. The truth that is in Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to know if some idea about life, about love, about meaning, about purpose, if you want to know if it's true, compare it to Christ. What does he say? What does his word say? The point I'm trying to make is we don't just instinctively know the truth. We have to hear it. We have to be taught in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. If an idea doesn't measure up to him, it doesn't measure up. And if we're going to live like the new people that we've become, we've got to learn to think like new people. So I just want to ask you today, what are you doing? As you think about your life and how you spend your time, what are you doing to help you learn to think Christianly? To think like a new person. What are you doing to hear Christ and to learn from Him? How much time do you spend listening to Him compared to listening to other voices? Because I want to tell you, there are countless voices who want to tell you how to think. And they will make every effort to tell you how to think. But there is only one voice who always knows what is true and always wants what is best for you. There's only one voice. Always knows the truth, always wants best for you. So I want to challenge you. This this is a challenge for today. Listen to him. Build that into your life. Measure every idea up to his word. Get into the Bible and make it a habit. Make it a habit. And if you're not any good at reading, you know what? You live at a great time. Because you can get the Bible on CD. And you can get it on MP3. And you can listen to it on your way to work, on your way home. If you're doing housework, whatever. We've got to get into the Bible and make it a habit. We've got to hear from him and get into a group and meet with some other Jesus believers and study his word together and interact. You know, verse 23 says, Be made new in the attitude of your minds. Your mind needs renewing. My mind needs renewing in order to think differently, to think like the new people God wants us to be. If we want to live differently, we've got to learn to think differently. We've got to make the effort to renew our minds in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Let's pray together.
I just want to give you a moment right now to kind of think about your life and think about what you're doing and where you're getting your information upon which you are making the decisions of your life. And are you making time to hear from the one who is the way, the truth, and the life? It's not easy. But as somebody told me one time, important things are seldom easy, and easy things are seldom important. So I just want to encourage you today, if, uh, if you're not making the time regularly to get into God's Word, to hear from Him, to be taught by Him, I want to urge you to make that choice. Well, let's talk to him about that. Father, um, I know I'm pretty prone to think I'm right. And sometimes that kind of arrogance keeps me from really listening carefully to you, to others who know you. I just pray for all of us, Lord, that you will give us the humility to realize that we need you and we need to learn from you. We need to be taught. And I pray you'd help us uh, put out the effort we need so that that will happen. We ask you to teach us, Lord. We ask you to show us who you are. Show us your truth. Help us think differently so we can live differently and be the people you want us to be. We pray in Jesus' name.